episode 79 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about our Board Games of the Month for October 2022. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Aaron and I talk about the games that we played in October, the ones we want to bring back to the table, the ones we maybe don't want to play again, and what we would pick for Game of the Month. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to myself and Aaron talking about our Games of the Month for October 2022. Four plays, 23 games for me, which feels unusual. A lot of times I play more, I play a lot more times of fewer games. You, we didn't play as much. We as didn't much. play a lot. And this you only month. played like 13 games. 13, 13. And I don't think I had my H index was one. Oh, well, sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I played 13 different games. Oh, yeah. And that's what I meant. I meant that you played 13 different games. Yeah, I played 13 different games. I played 13 plays. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what happened. This month just feels like it went faster, even for being a longer month, technically, a day longer. We're recording this just before the end of the month. We did home improvements and stuff. Not that many. Uh, But, yeah, I just, there was, I guess there's just other stuff going on this month. So, that's how many games we played. This is just kind of the month in review bit. I'm going to run down all of the games that I played, which includes the games that you played. Clever Forever, Hallertau, Wingspan, Ready, Set, Bet, Ducks in Tow, Evergreen, USPS, Great American Mail Race, Potion Explosion, Anchor. Is it called Anchor or Anchor? Yes. All right. Draft Cider, Dulce. Gosh, I don't know how to say that either. Is that German? Ich weiß nicht. Piratenkappen? Yeah, let's go with that. Yep. Roll for it, Rolling Realms, Look at the Stars, Rift Force, Patchwork, Abandon All Artichokes, Rustling Leaves, The Shipwreck, Arcana, Sobek, the two-player version, Fairy Trails, and Kites. It was a diverse enough month, but overall, yeah, not as many games as usual. Um, I think we started with Hollertow and really it slowed us down. Maybe. So yeah, I played 13 games with you. Played some with Adam, played some with Jason. I played half my games on board game arena which mm. is surprising um usually it, it it might be a good chunk but when i have that high of them on board game arena it'll be like that one month when Air, when adam and i played so much connect four so then there's like 20 games on board game arena will kind of skew your result most of the games on saturday and i think that was the thing we didn't play a lot outside of saturday morning at the coffee shop which is why it's such a nice ritual I feel like we definitely planned ahead because we even had things to do on Saturdays where we had to go into the coffee shop meant getting up kind of early on a Saturday to go there to even play that much. So if we hadn't done that. I think you would have had like six games or something. Yeah, I, 50% of my plays were at the at Indie Coffee Roasters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is who we played with. What games were added to the collection? Ooh, I didn't check this ahead of time and I need to add one more. Yes, I know. Fun facts. And that's not something that we're introducing that we have facts to say but there's a game called fun facts i watched a dice tower play it i haven't actually played it uh aaron just pointed out that that was a game that i got today that is in fact not yet in bg stats app i'm slowly starting to get some kickstarters in that have been i'd say long awaited flamecraft really wasn't that long um but ready set bet that wasn't Kickstarter. I feel like there was another Kickstarter maybe that came this month. But anyways, Verdant is on the way. The Everdell. So the games acquired this month were Ready, Set, Bet, Anchor, or Anchor, First Empires, So You've Been Eaten, Flamecraft, and Roll For It. So You've Been Eaten, haven't played yet. Flamecraft, we played at, at Gen, Gen Con. Con. Yeah, so there was a copy that was in the BGG Hot Games 
library. So they had like a pre-production copy or a reviewer copy, something like that, that we were able to play, which was pretty fun. Anchor, we got on like a sale, or maybe even clearance at the game store. That was early in the month. Ready, set, bet. I walked in the game store, I saw it, and I bought it. That was like, like the top of my list for Gen Con. We don't even get that many party games, actually, but I just really, I like, I like things that AEG makes generally. Um, John declares, well, this wasn't another card crafting game. And uh, we actually set that one up with Adam virtually calling the horse race for us while Jason, Aaron, and myself played in person. And we did all of the extra things as well. There's kind of like these two additional types of bets you can be doing, sort of three. And we played with all the bells and whistles. And I don't know that I would need to all the time. Um, I I would have them. It's a lot to keep up with in real time because as you play, we also had like these special abilities basically that only we had. And I know one round of the race, I just completely forgot about my ability because there's so much going on. And then other times, like I didn't really get to use my ability because the race ended just a little bit faster than I expected. And I thought I'd be able to like push out a lot more bets. So I don't even know that it's ultimately my favorite kind of game, but I was excited to actually try it in person and see what it was like. Um, I played about how I thought I would, some conservative, consistent bets. And I was winning before the last race, I think. And then Jason just got a buttload of money at the end of the game yeah the 11 12 horse won so there was more money gained in the last race than the the other ones and that really that really skewed the results of the track um first empires was another one that we have played at gen con we have a copy of it now ourselves we have not played our copy a lot of times we play our copies pretty close to when they arrive but flamecraft so you've been eaten in first empires all still need to be played. The Gardens, which I got from Kickstarter back in September, also still needs to be played. Um, but in any case... You guys have all that to look forward to next month. Yeah. On hopefully, Game of the Month. Hopefully we can or, get... That's not the name of this episode. Board Game of the Month. I think so. Oh, I thought it was Month in Review or something. You know, it's not the most focused episode we've had, and I think that reflects the month. So going back to our overall insights, let me double check. Is there anything else that we need to talk about? No, I still haven't sold the games uh, that I intend to. And at this point, I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do about that. But low priority, a busy month. They're just still boxed up here in the house. I'm not sure where they're going to yet. So let's go ahead and move on to back to the table. So Aaron, what's the game that... We played it, and you want to play it more. It's not your game of the month, but it's something that you want to play more. Maybe the first playthrough kind of changed your thoughts on it, or you see there's more potential there. Actually, I mean, the game I want to most bring back to the table is not a game that I played for the first time this month. It is okay. Shipwreck Arcana, which I played for the first time at Gen oh. Con. Did you, was that your back to the table last month? I honestly don't keep track. I mean, honestly, it could be. I love Is it that your game. new? F- it, it might be my back to the table every month. I know you don't like game it as much month. as do I. No. No, I don't think it's like, you know, game of the month. I feel like for me, that's it's nice if that's a, a unique game. So like every time I say the game of the month, it's a game that hasn't been my game of the month before. Oof. And I'm not going to keep track, but I am no, going to. We should start. I'm going to mentally try to avoid it. With my substandard memory. It's a scattered episode. So I think that I don't I don't dislike Shipwreck Arcana. It is a little it's a logic but cooperative game. So you're kind of trying to establish you have numbers that you have, the things on the table 
describe those describe numbers it might be something like a card that says relationships with numbers really relationships with numbers yeah if it's a you know the sum of the two numbers that you have is a six seven eight or something like that or an even number so uh there's a few of those different cards out there describing those relationships which means that you kind of have to be logically correct and also thinking the same way as other people and i will maintain that you have a perspective and stick to it for the most part and then for the most part i have to not figure out objectively what's there but i have to read you a little bit because there are situations where i'm like couldn't it have been this and you're like oh yeah but no, no one cares about that one so i think that's part of me not finding it quite as fun we played with jason this time though so we played three player so yeah. i guess maybe that's a little different than the previous month I we said we, we crushed two it player. yeah and i think we probably need to play it on a harder difficulty like it is we are successful at it and i think you and jason like i think jason's a, a probably a little more suited for the challenge than i am i don't know if that means he likes it but I think he, you and he think more similarly in that right. way and kind of are making the same conclusions. Yeah, I think I'll like give a clue that's like a what I perceive to be a 60-40 clue. And I'll expect you to know that it's the 60 side because I wouldn't have given it if it was the 40 side. And that's where I think it's, for me, I'm like, well, that's not really logically in the game. Then I have to be doing something that's not purely it's not that's not purely logic yeah it's logic and social yeah yeah like it's, it's right a, there's but then a little bit of induction like right and i'd rather play without induction oh it's a harder game without the induction i think i i i think so but the guessing same thing holds true for me as search for planet x and as not actually quite as much with turing machine i don't really want to guess in my logic puzzles i'm fine with just doing a logic puzzle in a book of logic puzzles by myself with yeah. a pencil. I like the so, social. I think even though Turing Machine is definitely more innovative, I think that this one innovative? is. Innovative? Yes. I think that this one is more. What uh, is innovative? It's oh, the way I British? say. Yeah. I I don't know why we have to like. It's it's, it's a very contentious it's, episode. It's more innovative, but I don't enjoy Adam's it. going to love it. I don't enjoy it as much. My back to the table game. And now I am, as I'm kind of reviewing the ones that I played, it, it is true that I played that many on Board Game Arena. It's not that I, I uh, it's not that I doubted the 50-ish percent of these, but I think a lot of those I'm not necessarily interested in bringing back to the table. Uh, there's also Rustling Leaves and, oh, Clever Forever were two apps that I downloaded actually in the last week. So not actually the physical versions of either of those. I think back to the table, I'm somewhere between Ducks in Tow and Dulce. I can't quite figure out which one to give it to. Ducks in Tow, I tried to play it solo before we played it together at the coffee house. And there were just some elements of it that not until I was playing against someone else and seeing how the turns kind of build and how the um, the resources change, did I understand why the rule book had some of the kind of restrictions or rules that it did? Because when you just read the rule book, it's actually fine. But when it takes, at least for me, it takes a playthrough to understand why the rules are the way they are. Did that? Mm. Did you feel that way a little bit? Like as you played, it sort of was like, oh, I, this I felt is like. I can't remember. I think that was the game that I felt like the game was super fun, but the rule book I felt lacking. I think you didn't like it, but I think that it was after you play the game, the rule book makes total sense. 
And when you're just reading the rule book, it f- it feels like something's missing. I think it needed some solid examples and did not have. That. And I think and there, there were examples. Too. There were examples. I think the thing that was not what I was expecting from this very light looking, cheery duck game. Because in Ducks and Toe, you are um, just a person, I think, at the park feeding ducks. And then those ducks follow you. Ignoring all the signs ignoring all the signs they have they have signs that say don't feed the ducks in the game no in the park do they yeah it's a contentious episode you also are then delivering those ducks to the areas they would like to go how any of this would be actually thematically communicated uh, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense but there's a very cute little um components that allow you to snap ducks in. They're difficult to use, but it's a very cute idea. And the board itself is like hex tiles arranged together and pretty small. What I didn't realize until we were playing it was that the ducks that are on the board are kind of limited and it's not until you try to get more ducks, there's a way to get more ducks out of the bag. And I wasn't understanding like how ducks ever enter the game. So you start off, there's not that many ducks there. Depending on how you and the other person play, that determines how many ducks will end up being available for picking up. And it could be a high or low scoring game on account of this. It could be a high or low scoring game. And I think it's also that a lot of times games like that, where you are sort of dependent on the other person you're playing with to uh, make things happen in kind, so to speak. Like they're going to make things happen that'll slightly benefit you, but greater benefit them. Uh, classically, you just don't do those things, Aaron. You will just be like, I, I'd rather starve and die. I think I can live longer while starving than the other person. And then I'll do it because I'd like to enjoy the game. And that's how I would like to do so. And then I kind of end up giving you more of an advantage because I never get the subtle kickback, uh, lesser action from your turn. But in this example, I think you beat me handily. Okay, I know. And what I was saying about this game is, who knows if this episode will even come out. What I was saying about this game is that the way that the action is built into the total economy of the game, you really can't avoid doing the action. And it does contribute to the overall pool of ducks available increasing. And then that changes how many ducks you can pick up at once, how many that you end up being delivered. And then you're you're playing these cards that, not surprisingly, have ducks on them. And then there are these bonus cards, which, yep, they also have ducks on them. And all of these things are working together to score you. Honestly, for all the trouble that you go through, not that many points at the end of the game. Well, you, you kind of have a lot of thoughts about it. Like, that seems somewhat negative to want to bring it back to the table. Because I think it's the deal of because reading the rule book and then playing the game, I then understood it better. Oh, so you like one another shot at it. Uh, I think I just more fully understand it now. And I'm wondering how that will change my opinion of the game. Now more fully understanding it. Will I be like, Oh yes, this is a really nice pickup and deliver game. I really enjoy it. Or will I say, you know what? No, this isn't worth it. I don't actually feel like this is balanced. And we have an expansion for it called like the angry goose, which we didn't play. So that's another reason to kind of bring it back to the table. Now, yes, I do have a lot of thoughts about it. I have a lot of thoughts about all these games. That's why we have a podcast. The other one, Dulce, I think it could have been a much smaller box game. And that's here nor there. You're running like a sweet shop or there's a town in which there are sweet shops being run. Anyways, you have like a deck of these different 
uh, types of confectioneries. Confectioneries? Confectioneries. And one person will shuffle their deck and then randomly like deal a card for each turn and everybody else finds that same card in their deck. So you're all, it's multiplayer solitaire. Is there any way that you affect other people? No. Uh, I don't don't, think so. I don't think so. And I think the solo, you you just play the game the same way and you're just trying to beat a score. And on those cards, you can either play them out with the building side up, which means you can make whatever confection is listed there. It's all abstract though, really, it's cubes. Or you play it the with the other side up, which has um, pictures of the resource themselves, two by two grid. And you have your own player board where you're kind of like planting-ish mm. those things. And when you plant them, you get to put the resources on them. And when you harvest, you harvest any row or column. But again, these are two by two grid cards. So you're not gonna harvest everything on one card at a time. So you're kind of trying to decide when's the right time to harvest. And after you get those resources, you get to refine them. This is tricky and hard to keep track of. And I think that's another thing that kind of belies. I think both of these, Ducks and Toe and Dulce, they're very nice looking games. They're very approachable looking. They both and have attractive, like, well themed. Go ahead. They both have spatial grids that you need to keep track of in order to score well. And I think maybe spatial what you want to do. Grids. Yeah, because in ducks you have to like organize the ducks and then overlay a shape on them and fit it. And it's like a it's like a, a, yeah. a an orthogonal grid that is the thing. And then in Dolce, you need your resources aligned in an orthogonal grid in order to do well and you need to kind of plan that out. And I think they both it's interesting that you want to bring them both back to the table because they both have that similar component that's kinda of tough to get right the first time you play it. Well, I think you're making a good point there. That's could be a lot of why I wanted to bring back. Now the ducks and toe cards, I kinda think that's what I like least about the game, is the way the cards lay out. And you score for they have uh like a row down the side that represents each of the ducks and some of them will be filled in. And as you play them, you can add cards to the right or left and you lay them all on top of each other. And that's how you get points at the end of the game for each different color duck. The number of ducks you have in a line, you add that up, that contributes to your final score. It is reinforcing that you're trying to get ducks in a line behind you during the games, you can deliver them. And then in front of you, you're also trying to get ducks in a line. So concepts like that i i like when it's not like well this part of the game you're trying to do this and over here in no way does it resemble what you're doing in the other part of the game like i like that there's a symmetry to those two things don't say i don't think there's anything to be said like that it gets a little messy i think in both when you're trying to stack these cards lots of sugar so they kind of need to be uh oh you meant like literally the you know what i'm sorry i don't even know what the joke was i was just gonna keep sugar is messy I'm still going to keep going. You're trying to stack these cards on top of each other. In Ducks and Toe, it's pretty easy to keep them straight. But in Dulce, it can get kind of hard to make sure that the cards are staying where they should. And that's that's maybe not the best experience. But the game isn't so long that I think it's an issue. So those are my two uh, back-to-the-table games. I, I, uh, I'm not going to actually pick one in between them. So Aaron, what game for you... It'd be fine if you didn't see it again. At least not, at least you know, not in the house. I really enjoyed the experience of purchasing a game out of an actual mail truck. But I do not need to play USPS, the Great American Mail Race again. Oh, I, I understand why you would say that. I understand why you would say that. 
it uh we it could be meaner i don't like that i think the group knows i don't and it we didn't play an especially mean game the other part of that though is i don't think it's worth being mean unless the package is super valuable because how it has you go out of your way maybe isn't that useful so i think that uh, it's a weird kind of game where you could play it very straightforward not think about a higher level of strategy and have an okay time but there probably is a little more strategy and depth there than it really meets the eye. There's definitely the ability to set up combo-tastic turns, and you almost require that for it to be fun, but they're not always available. And I, I think for a pick-up-and-deliver game, there's just better pick-up-and-deliver games that more often give me the fulfillment of having done something clever. There was lots of times in here where I was like, well, there's four different things I can do, and none of them are especially clever. I'm just going to do one of them. And it's kind of, it's very much random. There's definitely an element of luck because you, the way that you move around are the, is a deck of cards that you can kind of pick from and then play movement yeah. actions. And there's, di- you can move on different routes depending on the type of transportation. And then the same thing is sort of true for the packages. It's kind of randomized what package gets uh, coming up next for each of the four kind of delivery hubs that exist in the game so that kind of pulls down the strategy i think that makes it a little more family friendly and approachable yeah but But, i think like i think i finished first or second and i did really well in scoring because like randomly a specific type of package kept getting dropped right by me and like oh yeah because that's not like that's not exciting to just there is a postcard i do like to just win because you got lucky I think what's true about that game is you could play it and say, oh, I really enjoyed this. I wonder if there's more games like this. And the answer would be yes. But we've already played the more games like that. At least we've played some things in that genre. I think there's a little bit of a gap there. Again, that it is more of an approachable game. So it has a lot of really good ideas that feel maybe lacking if you're trying to get a deeper strategy strategy experience out of it that is really close to being there that said it is an educational game all the places on the map of the u.s are real places they have some very silly names the different modes of transport that you use on the cards including things like hot air balloon and rocket have at some point at least once been used by usps so i think that that along with the graphic design and art direction and art in general of it are perfect. There's the cutest little stamp that you get to use on your little card. Um, The box had like no plastic in it, I think at all. So there were some paper bags you tore open for some things. The insert is uh, molded in a sense, but it's cardboard. So it had a lot going for it in a lot of different areas. Pure gameplay. We bought it out of the back of an actual mail truck. This is true. Pure gameplay. It's maybe not the strongest, but I feel like they did really well. I feel like they achieved what they wanted to, and they did a good execution of it. For me, the game that is could not come back to the table. I have a guess, but I think it's a weird guess. Well, you can go ahead and guess. I think, and it, honestly, if we hadn't, if this playthrough hadn't gone so well, I'd be more certain. But I think that you're going to say that we can get rid of Rift Force. Oh. I think Rift Force is okay. 
actually, I think it might be good, and I'm just trying to come around to that manner of thinking. I think the one problem with Rift Force for me, potentially, and like I, I like it, I'm good at it, like it, it makes sense to me. Like you have to play it a lot, I think, to get good at it because every game the combinations are going to be so different, and and the interaction between the powers is, and especially with the expansion, like I think you just need to play it a lot to be good at it. Or to, like, feel confident. Right. We played Rift Force Beyond, which is, in a two-player game, the exact same Rift Force, but you have new uh, decks, new, like, character packs, so to speak, that you mix in with the other ones. So we didn't play all Beyond stuff. We didn't play all classic Rift Force. It was just a randomized mix. And after playing it, I remember what we were talking about was I would kind of like the rule book to tell me that there are like four different groups of cards like ones that are good to kind of scatter all around the rift ones that are good to stack up because of the way their powers work things like that and i I remember after we played we had kind of identified four different categories i can't remember each one yeah and i feel like if i heavy attack heal defense and movement did i don't but what was this what was the scatter one then Remember Move, I said there's movement. That's where you want them all different places. Yeah. But I feel like, like some that move, you might not need them different places because you can move them all like one over onto. Yeah, but I feel like it's a similar it's a movement but for different reasons. Like and I think okay. that I call the brown ones the brown ones that you had where you like would boom, 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 like train chain attack me. That's still movement, but it Right. I, I don't for know me, that, that movement category is broad. Right. I don't know that we agree on what those categories we discussed were. But the magnet, I think, was the one you were talking about. In the middle of the game, I realized if I put the magnets next to each other, um, because you can activate up to three cards at a time. You either play cards down up to three, activate cards up to three, or you draw up cards. When you activate magnet, if you have two in one column and one in the other, you can activate the first column, pull it over to the second column, then activate your card that was already in the first column, pull it back over to the original column and then activate again, pull it back over. And the thing that you're fighting follows a thing that you're fighting on the other side of the rift. Cause you are, you're attacking a card on the other side of the rift and magneting it to a new position. So you can definitely use it just to disrupt like a big line of force that you can't break through on your opponent's side. You can use it to disrupt and move their cards around for cards that don't even actually move. Very interesting. But also, you can take a really strong card and kind of beat it up back and forth and be able to pound down on it as and get it down to like a very low, if not completely knock it out. So there were things like that where when you start to understand the cards, you understand the ways that it can be played that are like more advantageous and it's not spelled out for you in the rule book and I don't think every each one should be but I think if you were going to kind of study it and learn it better understanding those groupings and then how they start to interact and disrupt one another would be big now is that the game that you would like to get rid of no it's not uh I think I I I don't know that Rift Force is going to be like with us forever because I think that it is interesting, and I think I kind of want to try to understand it first before I decide, nah, I don't want it. I think that the game that I would get rid of, I'm just going to look it over. It feels like it hardly counts, but Sobek, I, I don't remember liking it. Now, did Adam and I read the rules before we played? <laughs> 
No. I mean, no, we didn't. We did understand them by the time it was over. There was a thing that felt exciting on Board Game Arena to do, and it turns out it's not because it takes a whole bunch of points away. Uh, I'm sure when you read the rules, it's very clear that it's not. So that one hardly counts. Um, I think Draft Cider was even worse of a game that we played on uh, BGA. So I think with games like that, when we're just trying something out and again, not maybe respecting the whole process, it's pretty easy to say like, eh, I won't play it again. I bet Sobek is an okay game. It was interesting. I just don't think it'd be my favorite two player game. Um, Draft Cider, maybe a little bit more independently published, didn't really hold my interest as something I'd like to try again. And now for game of the month, I'm guessing it's not going to be Abandon all artichokes for you. No. Uh, I'm trying to think what I... You know what game I'm famously bad at? Abandon all artichokes? Yeah, I I, I don't think I've ever beat you. We played on BGA, so you'll know. Yeah, I'm honestly not bad at abandon all artichokes. Yeah. Um, But it's kind of a silly game. It's not like something you're really... You're really skilled at, but I'm okay at making a decent enough decision to get by. I just can't figure out how those stupid cards work together. Can't get them to abandon. No. Okay, so what is actually your game of the month? So I'm going to go, I'm going to give a quick honorable mention. Yeah. Because it'll just be the game of the month because we're going to play it again, probably more likely than the next game I'm going to mention. So Ready, Set, Bet, honorable mention, fantastic game. We'll talk about it many times in the future, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I was shocked at how much I enjoyed the game Evergreen. Oh. I did not know that it was made by the same person who did photosynthesis. Oh yeah. It when we got done with it, I was like, is this legit like he just stole photosynthesis, right? But to to be fair, it's just a better version of photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. The big complaint with photosynthesis is it's hard to see on the table because the trees are so big and block each other. It has all those elements. It's thematically very good. Uh it's not as interactive. You get your own place to build, so you can't like mess with other people and that works better in our gaming group. So yeah, Evergreen, I liked it a lot. Um, and yeah, I I think it's my game of the month. It surprised me. It's very nicely produced and it could have been a very nicely produced game that was kind of all show, you know, it could have just been a sort of nice thing to look at and then not a lot of gameplay depth. But I think the way that you have to move the little trackers as, as you take actions, you kind of can get these bonus actions, but, and then as you take those bonus actions, you increase their potency kind of yeah. up to a certain point and kind of deciding how to balance that out. How much do you do the same things you've done? How much do you diversify? So you can do like a little bit of everything as needed. I think that's super interesting and gives a little more replay value because it lets you be more responsive to the cards that come out and then kind of make choices based on kind of the cards you start with and the habitat, the evergreen habitat that you're building on your planet. A thing that you can't take for granted it's a board that kind of has that double cardboard thing with cutouts yeah, it's where double you can like slot, slot things in. And you know what? I think from now on I'm going to mention it because it's not true often enough. The pieces fit, and it's clean, and it's nice. Yeah. I will say the little circle pieces don't always fit great, but on your planet board, I would say everything fits perfect. And that could yeah. be literally just our copy where the circle right. pieces sometimes don't sit quite in there. And as you play more, I mean, it's cardboard and wood. They're going to start to fit. I, I tell you what, it's, it's better very than nice. It's the, very nice. It's better than the ducks in tow. It is better than the ducks in tow. I That's another one where those, you think those ducks have a hard time staying on the wagon. It's plastic and wood. And it's another one where you think if I keep playing it, will the plastic, you know, just kind of loosen up a little bit and these fit in here better. But like we were flinging ducks around trying to get them to stay in there. So we eventually 
just sort of dumped them in yeah. enough to stay put. Yeah, Evergreen is a beautiful game. I think that, I don't know this, but I think that they produced it in a way that corresponds with its theme. Like, I think it was sustainably... Oh, and, yeah. And, uh, yeah, environmentally. I, I said, oh, yeah, like I'm very confident in yeah. the carbon credits that they purchased when they made the game, but I have no, no idea about that. Can you remind me how Hallertau plays? Oh, it's like every Uwe game. It's, I, and that's why I can't remember it. There's 37,000 possible actions. Okay, now I need you to say actually helpful things. Um, What is it? It was the one where you get sheep? There were sheep in the game, right? We played it at Donuts and Dragons. Yeah. I got sad. You got sad. There were sheep. I was collecting lots of the sheep. So you oh, have this like board building. in front of you and then like... Uh, I, I know at least the mechanic of the sheep. As you get the sheep, the sheep die in four in four seasons if yes. you don't do something to keep the sheep alive. But then the sheep are like worth points at the end of the game. They're worth one point, but then, then they also are producing has, for you it has, wool. They produce wool during and the game. It, it has this really weird kind of actually kind of nifty kind of resource management thing where like you plant seeds in fields, and as the right. fields improve in quality, they produce more resources. But they, every time you use them, they, they de- decrease in they quality. Decrease right? so in like quality. Turn, so, you know, you have to, like, you turn to the them fields. Rest. You have to lay them, lay them, what is it when you... Lay fallow. Lay fallow the fields. Yeah. It was a nice game, but, like, I have to really be in the mood for an Uwe game, and I don't think I was in the mood for an Uwe game, and then especially... I very unintentionally made you very upset during the game, and that I, never that never makes me like a game. I don't. I I I don't know about all that. I got. She's like it was quite intentional. I thought. I remember we were at Dungeons and Dragons. The guy working there came over and said, "Oh, Hallertau, I'd like to play this one. Haven't given it a chance." And then um, we we commence playing. He comes back a little later and asks, "Like, how's it going?" And Aaron's like, "Oh, I don't know. It's okay." And I. It is definitely a game where you can just kind of get behind the ball and your farm just, like, sucks. Like, this is just not working. So you have a community center that is moving from left to right. Is this your game of the month, by the way? I wanted to remember it, and no, it's not. (laughs) It's not. But I couldn't, I couldn't remember it. So I felt like I needed to before I said it. No, it's not. I, it's becoming more clear why I can't remember it. It's probably, uh, somewhat intentional on my brain's part. So community center. I The community center, you're moving it from right to left. What's impeding its progress from moving to the right are these boulders. Oh yeah. And you have to use tools to move the boulders. And then there's you have to use resources you have to use over resources there? to improve improve and grow your barn and then like a pretty significant amount of improvement is required for you to score any points in the game yes and then once you start scoring points you could score a whole lot of points so somewhere in there aaron's moving his uh community center over quite nicely and evenly and sort of with this even pace i'm doing everything i can throwing everything i can but it's ultimately like bankrupting my farm like i i'm not i'm not getting to that point where it's it's giving me back the right resources that i need to continue the game so i'm just like playing a game as if there's less rounds in it than there are i realize this at one point and if you just push the boulders off your board you get a certain amount of points for that and i can't remember exactly how this all works but it's like you get the points on this side of your community center unless you can see these points in the community center window and then but you those get these points, points. Are more yeah those points are more at a certain it's all it's all very ua rosenberg 
So I realize all I need to put all of my energy into getting these boulders off. And then I realize the way that I need to do that because of reasons is to move this jewelry because you have a jewelry board, a community center board, a sheep and card board, and you also have your fields. And that's also where your resources kind of are. I think you have seven more things, actually, that you didn't it mention. It feels that way. And then there is a, in the middle is where you're actually doing worker placement because you get a number of workers that are cubes. However, the way the board is laid out, the individual actions get more expensive. As someone else does them. So you don't like block them from other people until you've done it several times. However, in a two-player game, the way that it gets randomized and reset some actions will stay blocked because you only take one row off of each of these action slots. And there's three rows on all of them as they things get more and more expensive. So it's sort of like things will be either completely blocked or very expensive unless they're left alone. And they also get refreshed at the end of the round and not every action does. So I, I don't like when I don't know how much a thing is going to be, an action's going to be. You also got more workers for moving your community center. So while you were resource dry, you also had less workers than I did. There were many things going on and that, you know what? I said, oh, I don't know. Like, it could be how, no. No, it's not the game of the month. I'm thinking like, Is that am the game I you keeping it? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm oh, keeping no, it. Oh, no, I, I am notoriously critical of Uwe Rosenberg games, but I think if I'm in the mood why. for it, it's a good game. Because it's just a lot. And the, here's the, here's the reason why. You cannot, if you only play it once a year, play it without reading the whole rule book again. Yeah. Like, there's I read lots the whole of games. Book for a lot of things. Well, there's lots again. of games where I can take out the components and know skim the is. rule book and start to play again. But those, there's so many rules. I, there's so many rules. I rarely, there are not a lot of games that I remember like that. And if we were, you know, I, you know, say a lot, like, I would prefer to have, like, you know, 50 games that we knew well. If we had 50 games. And we like that we we played you know them Haller, as much yeah if we played Hallertau you know once a month or something like that or once every two months even and I like I didn't have to reread the rules I probably would like it a lot more but as we play you know I'm very rarely playing the same game more than two or three times a year uh, they're too much for me hmm I think the actual mechanics of what happens in it you very much like so that's why it is surprising to me and in, in anyways. It is absolutely not my game of the month. I just couldn't remember. It turns out I blocked it out because uh, it was an unpleasant experience for me. So I'm going to say that my game of the month. I think you should roll for it. It's definitely not roll for it. Roll oh. for it's fine. I've played the app a lot and I bought the game just for the sake of kind of having it a little bit. Um, no, I'm going to give it to Kites. Oh. Yeah. And part of that is because you did like it. And it is I, a time-based, I'm not good at it, game. Well, but it's a like real-time cooperative game. We won because you outperformed me. It's cooperative, though, so that's, like, okay. I think a lot of times you come to a cooperative game as if I need to win the game. And that's not what we're here to do. It's not a huge deal if... It's the collective I. That's not a thing. <laughs> that's, that's not a thing. I don't think that is as big of a deal to me. If we play a co-op game that you were just better at, but I enjoyed the game, I feel like that's that's fine. But good I, I good also, thing. I did enjoy the game. I just yeah. acknowledged that I was, nah, I was a little bit rubbish at it. 
Yeah, and it was the first time you played it. I played it once. I don't think in any way do they recommend playing it solo. I don't believe that is advice they give. And that is specifically what I tried to do. You have six-ish sand timers, and you're trying to keep these kites in the air. And each of the sand timers represents a different color kite and has different color sand in it. And some of those kites fly higher than others. Yeah, so the sand timers don't all have the same amount of sand in them. They don't they're not all timed the same. And it tells you in the book like what they are. It's pretty apparent as you play. So, the shortest one I think is red. There are more red cards in the deck because every time you play a card, you flip the colors that are on that card. And there's I think maybe Beth Sobel art. I don't know that it's actually her, but there's lovely kite art. And so there's a red and yellow kite on there. That means you flip the red and yellow sand timers when you play the card. For those of you who might have a hard time like me imagining how this game works, it means you don't want to flip any timer quick back to back. No, or like either you want to just flip it and then wait a while before you come back to it, or you do want to flip it and immediately flip it back because it's almost over. But yeah, you were like, oh, we'll flip this timer and then I'll just flip it back. Oh, no, now it's empty. Yes. We have lost. Yes. So that's where- good insight. The co-op part of it is you have a hand of cards. You all have to be playing cards in turn, uh, but you're trying to make sure that you don't tank any of these kites. So as Aaron is saying, if you have someone who's a little more the kind of thinker where they can watch all these things and look at their cards and be making those decisions in time to kind of keep all the plates spinning, then they're probably the one who is scrambling in their hand to make sure we turn back over the thing that just got turned over. Or maybe if you had a bigger group, kind of shouting that out, like shouting out a color to make sure the next person, whoever can play that color next, gets to it as fast as possible. And there are times, I think even more in two-player games, probably, where you have like a bit of a lull, where you're kind of like, I actually don't want to flip any of these sand timers right away. And that's totally okay. You can wait a few seconds because it's like, well, this one's getting really close to the bottom. I have that card. I'm going to wait till it gets a little closer to the bottom before I play it so we can have the full time of it being able to elapse. We don't have to play that color again. And some of those longer timers are also in the deck less. So what gets a little weird is maybe like, oh, purple is going to need to flip soon. Nobody has purple cards. We need to book it and really take some risks with the other colors so that we can get a purple card out of this deck so that we can flip purple. I, uh, without being too disparaging towards myself, I'll say I have a high functioning single threaded brain. Yes. We often talk about how you've queued up events and this is... If you have a very orderly way of playing, possibly even with a metronome, maybe you could queue up events and be playing a little closer to on time. But it is probably far more likely that you are gently reactionary towards everything that's happening. I very much have a kind of survey the landscape and make the best choice mindset about a lot of things. So I'm usually looking at three different things at the same time and then jumping on the one that makes the most sense in the moment. So it is suited to my kind of play style. I look at one thing at one time. Yes. And if you're just looking, if you're like, oh, I'm really concerned about the red timer, I'll only look at that. 
Well, it's the shortest one, so there's some advantage there, but there's definitely five other timers. I think as you get into a bigger group, I think it has a similar feeling to games like Overcooked, where you're doing this kind of chaotic teamwork, and when it all works, it feels really rewarding. Famously bad at Overcooked as well. I don't know that you're that bad at it, but it does help in games like that if you kind of end up either, you need to get into a kind of groupthink, and that might mean that one person is a bit of the leader and is kind of directing the action instead of you don't really have time to have conflict about what you're going to do next. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I will be interested to try it with other people. I don't know that I'll like it with more people because it might get a little too stressful and confusing. They put in the box these extra cards that kind of just make the game harder. I don't know that I have any problem with just doing the game better and better. I don't know that I really want the extra challenge. I don't know that it feels boring uh, in a way that like I think, oh, well, once I got the hang of this, I would want I would I'd want more events or more drama included. I think it speaks highly for a game if I'm not good at it and still like it. Yeah, and that's really what's why I'm giving it the game of the month is I didn't expect you to like it at all. Uh, It does very much seem in my wheelhouse. It's very much not something that is worth playing solo. You can can kind of practice solo to get a feel for how it it goes. The fact that you liked it was exciting for me because I thought you were going to hate it and would have just played it the one time as a favor to me. We can play it again. So uh, we're, we're, we're bringing Ducks in tow and the Shipwreck Arcana back to the table. We're probably going to get rid of the Great American Mail Race, except we're not, because Kelly said it's pretty and gave lots of compelling reasons that we should keep it, and I kind of agree with her now. Yeah. Um, but we're we might get rid of what, what was your mine were on Board Game Arena. It's oh, fine. so it's fine. Uh, yeah, it was Draft Cider, Sobek, and honestly, I played Look at the, Look at the Stars. I, I don't need it, and I think there was one more that uh, that came from there. I can't think of it now. And then uh, Game of the Month, Evergreen and Kites honorable mention to ready set bet the game i'm most excited to play next month oh we probably have the same answer to this what's your answer i I want to play with those cute little dragons oh yeah me too we do have the same answer and that everdell collection when it comes it's going to be every everdell expansion yeah what's the name of that game flamecraft 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 cute little dragons Thank you so much for listening to episode 79. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com, and you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. We played less games this month, and I think we were a little off this month in general. The start of the episode was very contentious. We eventually kind of got into a groove with it, though. I think that's also why we like playing board games. When you are having those less than perfect days, weeks, months... Board gaming is a great way to bring you back into the present moment and make sure that you're connecting with those around you. The next episode will be Adam, Aaron, and myself all making a 10-game collection from what's available at our local Target store. Unless you're listening to these in reverse, in which case you have 78 more episodes headed your way, the next one being a Gatecrasher episode about learning board games and rulebooks. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today.